y'all. This is What Fresh Insight, a show that looks at the big questions from new, unexpected angles. Who are we? What is really going on? And how do we bring good into this mundane, sublime, spiritual, and sometimes silly world of ours? I'm Sarah Bariza, a writer and musician, and today we are talking about to-do lists. Last week we talked about goals and plans and why we might still want to have them even in the mess that is uh, 2022 and the ongoing pandemic. And I thought, hmm, to-do list might be a nice companion topic to that goal-setting topic, given that, well, we only get to where we're going via the steps that we take, and often the steps that we take are documented or, uh, I don't know, sometimes even sidetracked uh, by way of the infamous to-do list. Now, last year, one of the most interesting things that I read was an article by Clive Thompson called Hundreds of Ways to Get Stuff Done and We Still Don't. This article is a deep dive into to-do list software. So all the various hundreds of software platforms that you could be using to keep a digital to-do list and a a little bit of conversation about the paper version of such. But... um, Thompson did a bunch of interviews with um, software designers. He himself designed something for himself to use, programmed something for himself to use. He had some really interesting insights into to-do lists and why they are so sticky. And these insights have to do with morality, goodness, badness, and mortality, as in death and we all die. And so on that light note, um, I want to get into those, those two things, morality, mortality, And then finish up with a third insight about um, doing what we don't want to do or maybe not doing what we don't want to do. So first, morality. Thompson argues, and this is a quote, with to-do apps, we are attempting nothing less than to craft a superior version of ourselves. Perhaps it shouldn't be a surprise that when we fail, the moods run so black. Let me say that again. With to-do apps, we are attempting nothing less than to craft a superior version of ourselves. Whew. If I think back to goals and plans, man, goals and plans, aspirations, intentions are so often about encouraging ourselves to be better, to do better. Sometimes under the guise that if we are better, then we will somehow be more worthy, we'll be more worthy of love. And sometimes under what I think is a much more realistic assumption that, you know, we'll have a better life if we act differently, which frankly is often true. You get a better job, you get a better relationship, you get out of the crappy relationship. And yeah, yeah, you often will uh, find that your life is better. And oftentimes our plans, our goals are about making ourselves better, making our environments better. I don't, I don't think that that is necessarily a problem. But when we take it to the to-do list, as Thompson points out, the to-do list is the like the granular version of how do I become a better person, like the 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 tiniest infinitesimal email so and so version of how do I live a better life? How am I a, a better person? Which, again, unfortunately, can sometimes mean how do I make myself more worthy of love? Which is not great, but often something that motivates us. So, as he points out, it shouldn't be a surprise that when we fail, the moods run so black. And one of the things that he noticed recurringly in his research and his interviews is that emotions run really strong around to-do lists and how to run to-do lists and how to be organized and and then how to be productive. So when we are looking at a to-do list and maybe an accumulated to-do list, all the things that we wanted to do last month that we didn't get to, all the things we wanted to do last year that we never got to, and and then if we end up coupling that to our own morality, our own goodness as a person, and our own worthiness of love, our own 
uh, reason to stand up straight and think proudly of ourselves. And then we think, oh, but I didn't do all those things. That is a, a huge problem in how we use that that tool of the to-do list and also a reason why that tool is so is so powerful. So there's the morality. And then there's the mortality, the whole we die. Here's what Thompson says. Every single time you write down a task for yourself, you are deciding how to spend a few crucial moments of the most non-renewable resource you possess, your life. Every to-do list is ultimately about death. That is, that's big. Again, going back to the goals and the plans, the goals and the plans about where we want to go. And eventually we don't go any further. We take our last step. We take our last breath. As Annie Dillard said, the way we spend our days is, of course, the way we spend our lives. And for many of us, the way we order our days, the way we decide how to spend our days is through the to-do list. And I think for many people who use a to-do list like like I do, the to-do list is supposed to be in direct alignment with our values. So we have like these big goals that are in aligned with like who we want to be and how we want to steer our lives. And then we work that down to this month and this week and this day and what am I doing this afternoon? And supposedly, ideally, these things that we have on our list, this email so-and-so, practice thus and such, make thus and such for dinner, is it is supposedly in alignment with those those huge values. And maybe that's true. Ideally, that's true. But what it comes down to is uh, we want to live that way because we're going to die. And then when we get when we get further into this to-do list world and um, the uh, the fact that many of us, most of us never accomplish our to-do list and then we, we realize we have too much to do, Thompson points out, setting limits on what we hope to do is philosophically painful. Every to-do list is a midlife crisis of unfulfilled promise. And of course, the midlife crisis is about, <gasps> I'm not in alignment with my values and I'm going to die sooner rather than later. I'm, I need to be changing what I'm doing. So when we think about the to-do list and think about, well, I can't do all the things, so what am I going to do with this precious, non-renewable resource, the the finiteness of my life, we are inviting ourselves into what he calls the, the midlife crisis of unfulfilled promise. We can't do all the things. We never can do all the things. We might believe we can have it all, but in fact, we cannot have it all all the time. And yeah, that makes that's that's a way to make a to-do list uh, pretty... <laughs> carry some high stakes there. So the last area is doing what we don't want to do, or maybe not doing what we don't want to do. And Thompson points to this really interesting set of data, uh, which is available because of all these digital uh, to-do list platforms, you know, this aggregate aggregate of anonymous data about all the things that we don't do, that we... I think it was something about like 40% of the items never get checked off. These are aspirational or they become useless or they become, oh, I just don't want to. And we just don't get around to them. And that struck me as interesting for a couple of reasons. First, that many of us are pretty good at detecting BS in our lives and we don't necessarily admit it to ourselves verbally uh, or like articulate it to ourselves. And yet when we get around to our to-do list, we are often really good at not doing the stuff that doesn't matter. We don't admit to it necessarily. We maybe don't admit it to our bosses or to our spouses or to our children or to the people who rely on us for various things, but we are pretty good at sniffing out things that don't matter and just not doing them. And that doesn't mean that what matters to us matters 
the same to other people. People might look at our life and be like, well, why are you doing this and such? You know, that that's not as important as X, Y, Z other thing. But we're pretty good at actually living into our values and our values might not uh, not be the ones that we are actually stating. The ones that we're living don't necessarily line up with what we say are most important to us. But when we come down to this to-do list thing and how so much of what we tend to write down or type down uh, just doesn't get done, I think that is because we realize in our heart of hearts, in our unconscious, that we don't want to do that thing because it is not actually important to us. It truly doesn't matter. I think the other thing is that we often write down the stuff that we would forget because it's so unimportant that we would forget about it. And so we have to put it there. And of course, you know, we like to be remain gainfully employed and um, in good speaking terms with our relatives and all those things and, you know, keep our children in the correct size of shoes and all that fun stuff that goes onto a to-do list. But we uh, we don't necessarily prioritize that information in terms of the stuff that is actually truly, truly, truly the most important. And that that's the other other side of this, that a lot of stuff doesn't even get written down because it's so important that we don't even need to write it down. And of course, we just get it done because it's so important that we just do it right away. So those are three insights on to-do lists and how they work for us and don't work for us. They are from the article, Hundreds of Ways to Get Stuff Done, and We Still Don't by Clive Thompson. And I'll have a link to that in the show notes. It's a long article, and it is full of just really interesting interviews and insights into the world of to-do list software. Our read of the week is Something That May Shock and Discredit You by Daniel M. Lavery. Lavery is the co-founder of The Toast and uh, was for, I think, five years the writer for the Dear Prudence column at Slate. This is a book of essays and other short-form genre-bending writing. It's kind of hard to say, like, okay, what, what exactly is this genre? It's a little bit memoir. It's a little bit cultural critique. It deals with gender transition, pop culture, faith, and kind of more obscure cultural things, uh, historical things. I'm like, oh, that's like from the Middle Ages, right? Okay. And those things might feel like they don't go together, but together they do go together. Lavery is a master writer. And so these things that might seem a little bit disparate, uh, disparate from each other come together into this cohesive whole that is so uniquely his and his very imaginative take on the world and genres. It's a uh, it's really interesting to read if you're a writer or interested in different types of genre, but it's also interesting to read if you just like want something funny and beautiful. Speaking of beautiful, today's delight is the album Winter Songs by Ola Yelo. And a few of these winter songs are Christmassy, but the vast majority are just wintry. Uh, so January is a great time to be, lis- be listening to it. It includes choir, it includes cello and piano and string orchestra. And it is such a beautiful, beautiful album. I could listen to it on repeat and have listened to it on repeat uh, for many years now. It's beautiful and uh, very atmospheric. And um, sometimes a little sprinkle of, of uh, Disney swooshy strings in there that is just really fun. So Winter Songs by Ola Yelo. Thanks for listening to What Fresh Delight. I'll be back next week with another episode. I'm Sarah Bariza. You can find me at sarah-bariza.com, B-E-R-E-Z-A, where you can also find my free newsletter. See y'all next week.